the, over the last couple of weeks, we've been using kind of the, the end of summer, these last few Sundays, just to call us back and remind us why we meet together, why we gather, why we do some things. And last week, we looked at what's called the Nehemiah Principle. And it comes from Nehemiah chapter 4, where the people were working on this wall, they were building this wall, but in 26 days, they forgot why they were doing what they were doing. And Nehemiah had to call them back to the purpose. And in essence, that's what we're kind of doing over these couple of weeks, calling us back to why we meet together, why we do things in the fall programming, why it starts up. And I even think of our mission statement, together in Christ, making him known. See, there has to be this foundation of a purpose of why we gather. And I believe deeply that that purpose for us as a body of believers, is for believers in Christ, that we are, we are really the foundation points to the great commandment, to love God with all of our hearts and our souls and our minds. That's why we're here. That command summarizes all of the scriptures. See, God saved us to reflect his love. And he invites us even into relationships with other people to reflect that love. And he gives us opportunities to serve. And he gives us opportunities to disciple both individually and even corporately. So I'd call you back to that, that we want to provide an atmosphere of corporate discipleship here. But it comes out of his love for us and this mission that he gives us. And I want to read that mission. It's the Great Commission. And so I want to begin this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. And we're going to read that text that we're going to dig into here this morning. Let's begin with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the laws that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Now, here's where we need to drill down today. There are three key directives in this, what we call the Great Commission. And it flows out of the Great Commandment, but there's very distinct directives for us in this mission that he has given to us. And by the way, the Great Commission is not a biblical term. That's an extra biblical term. And in doing some digging, I was going, okay, where did that come from? And actually, it goes back a long time ago, but the one who made it popular was a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor. You might know that some of you know that name. He was a missionary to China, and he was the one really that, that brought and emphasized that term. But let's just walk through some of the directives this morning, and if you're following along in the um, insert there, number one, I said it this way, that first response is that we are called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, there are people who break this up into actually four commands, but if you kind of dig in the original languages, the way it's written in the Greek, you'll find that there's a built-in assumption here. So it's, it's kind of like this. As you're going, make disciples. So it's, they don't really pointed toward two. They're saying, this is one command to go, and as you're going, make disciples. So let me make some comments on this directive, first of all. Think of the context 
of these disciples that are hearing these words of Jesus on that mountain. This was right again after the resurrection. But understand this, this would not have been a surprise to them. This just wasn't out of the blue. Understand that they had been in training. And many disciples, remember, they were sending the disciples out in twos. And they said in Luke 10, it says 72 disciples went out on a mission and they were knocking on people's doors, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. In essence, they had already been trained on some mini missions trips along the way. See, they would have, this would have been something that wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been caught off guard with. Matter of fact, even go back to the night before he goes to the cross a few days earlier. In John 17, he prays for them. And he prays that there would be this unity among the disciples, that they would love each other so much, so that, that then there's this purpose that comes out, that the world would believe that Jesus, or that the Father sent the Son. See, even in our relationships within each other, there's a sense of mission of going, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make disciples. Bring people to know me as Lord and Savior. That was at the heart of what Jesus was doing in training his disciples for those three years. Now, I have discovered over the years that at times people look at this great commission and they go, this isn't for me. This is for the pastors and especially the the missionaries that are going out there. But I understand disciples wouldn't have looked at that way at all. They would have understood this was for the, the church. Remember when he went to Peter and said, on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. He told others, we're going to raise up and we're going to have a bride of Christ to understand that the gospel, they, they would have known that it was to multiply and to go from one person to another one and that person was to take it to another one and it keeps going. See, there's this built-in assumption that this is for everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. And when you think of the application of it, we're in a holiday tomorrow, but Tuesday morning, you're going to go to work. Do you realize that you are called to be a missionary at your work? To be ready to give a defense for the gospel. We prayed for teachers here today. You understand, as you walk into that school system, that God is calling you in such a way, yeah, you maybe can't say all the words like you used to in that sense, but what does it mean to live a life on mission where the students would begin to see you, that your love is just exploding in one sense to them, and they see that you're different, and maybe you bump into them on the street or a a restaurant or a game or somewhere else, and you go, why are you so nice? And you go, Jesus, And, and can I tell you about Jesus? But students, for you that are heading out to school here on Tuesday, this isn't just for adults. This isn't for old people. This is for you. You are called to be a missionary. I'm really proud of my son because he talks to his kids when they get on that bus and they're heading out on Tuesday morning. He's reminding them that they are to be a missionary at Forest View. That's the call that he's trying to put into their life. They see themselves that they're on mission, whether they're fourth, third, fourth, fifth, I guess they're in seventh grade here this year, a couple of them. 
See, we are all on mission for Jesus. That's the call there, to go as we're going, we make disciples. But there's another directive here that we want to dig into this morning. And it's number two for your notes. I said it this way, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we want to drill down just a few minutes here today. Next week, we're going to work at teaching them to observe. That's where we're going to go next Sunday. But I suspect the majority of people here probably understand baptism. And you've been baptized as a believer, and you're kind of looking at me and go, okay, Ken, why are you preaching this? But I would say this, for some of you, this might be a new topic. Or or you may be a believer who's never been baptized, and you're older, you're, you could be a child, you could be an adult, and you go, I've just never done this before. And you go, why? Why is it so important? See, I, I think there's another, maybe one or two of you, or maybe more even, there's, there's a place where you understand there's different traditions about baptism, different beliefs in that context. So th- this is important. And I, and I think it, the challenge needs to be this way. All of us are called to influence And the people that come in contact with you, we're called to be ready to give a defense and ready to give understanding. So if people ask you, what do you believe? I think we need to be ready to go, what about baptism? Why is it important? So hopefully today we'll equip you for some of these things. But I also would say this, I think, and over the years I would point to a couple of them that I've been a part of, there was, uh, there's churches at times that have what I would call a low view of baptism. And they kind of go, yeah, it's just tradition, it's really not necessary. But I would say this, baptizing is deeply connected to being a disciple of Christ. So I want to unpack some things here this morning, just very briefly, and I could spend more time, but I just want to walk through some pieces just to remind you of in terms of the importance of baptizing. Letter A for your notes, I said it this way, baptism is not a means to salvation. There are traditions that would argue that baptizing is how people get saved. And I do not believe that the the scriptures teach that at all. Now, again, I'd invite you to a cup of coffee if you're going, "Ah, that's not what I believe. Well, let's dialogue and talk and and, and chew on it a little bit maybe sometime. But let me give you a a key passage just to remind you that that salvation is not baptizing. Well, let me put Ephesians 2.8 on the screen. Salvation is very pointed and, and really centers on the issue of faith. Look at Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. See, faith comes when we step out and say, God, I want to follow you. I believe in what you did. I I trust in the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When that faith comes, that's when salvation comes and the Holy Spirit gets put into our lives. Not baptism. But let me go to another one, letter B. This one might seem obvious, but the call to be baptized comes from Christ himself. And again, it it, it seems obvious when you read the text, 
But at times I think we forget and we hear this word baptism, and I think this was me when I was younger. Well, that comes from Baptist churches. Isn't that where it comes from? They're the ones that emphasize it. But folks, in this passage, Jesus spoke these words. So we shouldn't deny the weight that he was the one that gave this directive. Baptize. Jesus was baptized. But he calls the disciples together and he says, baptize them and observe. Here's where I think what we tend to do. Teaching everyone to obey what Jesus directed. And baptism, we don't want to put them on the same weight. You know what do you want to do? We want to drop baptizing. Somehow that's less important. And maybe after today, you'll see the importance of it just a little bit more. So the issue is relevant for us because Jesus spoke these words. He didn't minimize it. He elevated. So baptism isn't just some light issue. But let me go to number this letter C here. I remind you that baptism reminds us of our union in Christ. Baptism, we have to acknowledge, is highly symbolic. There is deep symbolism here. And it has much meaning. No, it doesn't save. But it is highly symbolic. And I want to show you a passage why it's so symbolic. Look at Romans chapter 6. Look how it reads here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Again, he's talking to Romans and group of believers here that grace may abound. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? But look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death and we were buried therefore with him and by baptizing baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Again, I've got to be careful here. This represents this union in Christ. It doesn't make a union. But Paul is describing the symbolism of what has gone on when salvation comes into our hearts. So let me just talk about this symbolically. The first bullet there. Symbolically, it ties us to the past work of Christ. When one is baptized, it's saying that I identify with the death of Jesus when he goes into the tomb. And we're identifying with his resurrection. See, his death and his resurrection is at the heart of the gospel and necessary for salvation. See, if those two things did not occur, why would we meet together? Why even gather as a church of people if that wasn't true? If those were just fake claims? that he died and was resurrected from the dead. You understand, baptism represents those two things. When one goes under the water, one is it's speaking of representing that our death, that once we were dead, we were dead. But all of a sudden, because of the Spirit, and we come out of that water, we have new life. See, that's the picture of baptism there. It's saying that I am now with Christ, because of Christ's resurrection, Christ's death. 
But let me even push it farther. Look at it, uh, verse 4, the end of verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, that next bullet, symbolically, it ties us to the present and the reality of a new life right now. It wasn't just in the past. It's now for us today. Because of his death, right now, we can have a new life. See, it's different because Christ worked. Because of his death, his resurrection, we have a union in Christ, and it exists in the present. The Spirit resides, if we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit resides in us now. And he works in us and he works through us. And we're different than we used to be. Now, this is where I think people still come back and say, Ken, this is just symbolism. Symbolism isn't important. But let me try to give you an illustration where I think we, we don't recognize the power of the symbolism even. And maybe this will give some weight to it. For you that were married, are married, think back to your wedding day, to the ceremony. There is a part of the ceremony that has great power and is highly, highly filled with symbolism. And that part of the ceremony is the exchange of rings. Now, I've done lots of weddings over the years, and there's this place where the, the man and the woman, they're putting on rings on each other's fingers. Now, some of you are going, why is this on his right hand? Um, there's a few people in the service that caught that, and I go, well, I was tubing in the snow, and I broke this, and I pulled it off real quickly, and I never could get it back on. But, but understand the symbolism. When I do a wedding, I, I say something like this. They repeat after me, this ring I give you in token and pledge of our constant faithfulness and our abiding love. Or maybe you said something like this. This is a sign of our union. Picture back to the, your wedding ceremony, and you're putting this ring on your, your spouse-to-be, that, that ceremony that's going on. But what is that ring about? It is a picture. It is a statement. It's a statement about something taking place. Now, is it, does it equal the wedding? No. Or the covenant? No. Or the vows that you took? No. But that ring is a tangible sign that you are connected to another person. See, this ring represents that I am married to my wife. It's an expression of the union. Folks, baptism is the ceremony of the rings. It's a sign of the union that we have with Christ. And it's for the world to see. I'm one. I'll be honest with you. I don't advocate just um, uh, taking a person to a lake to be baptized. I want a group of people watching 
And why? That was the historical understanding of baptism for Jesus. In that time, when the disciples began to baptize people, they would go down to the lake or oftentimes a river, and at that river would be a place where people were washing clothes, they were getting water to drink out of that river, and there would be a group of people that would go down and in the river, and then this person would go down and up, and people would look at them and go, what is going on? See, there would have been questions going on. And I understand what they, how they would have responded. They would have said this, the reason I'm doing this is because Christ died for me and he was resurrected on the third day. And I am holding my hand up saying, I am now in Christ, with Christ, and I'm in a union with Christ. See, that's why public baptism is so important. You're telling the world, the ring, that I'm married to Jesus that he's mine, that my union is in him. Folks, this symbolism has great power in our lives, and we need to remember that. But let me keep going there. One more, or two more, letter D. I want to read verse 19. Uh, Let's go back there. Yep, I'll read this one first. Here's another point from here, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So why does Jesus here put in this Father, Son, Holy Spirit here? What's the reason for that? And letter D for you, here's what I think it really is about. Baptism is an acknowledgement that the triune God Father, Son, and Spirit has worked to give salvation and the meaning to our relationship in Him. Think of it this way in salvation. It began with the Father. It started with He loved us before the creation of the world. Our Heavenly Father put a plan in motion to restore a broken relationship between Him and and us as the people that he created. It was initiated by the Father because of his great love for us. But it was more than just the Father as well. See, he sent his son, he put his, sent his son on a mission that his son would pay the penalty for our sins, that he entered creation and became a man, and he became the perfect sacrifice to take the sins of the world upon himself. See, that was the son's role was fulfilling his father's mission for him. But it wasn't just Jesus as well. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, part of that Godhead that gives us new life. It says that Romans 5.5, that the Spirit has poured out the love of God into our hearts. See, that has to take before, that has to happen before salvation occurs. The Spirit needs to convict us of our sin, of our autonomy, our our desire to just live by ourselves. The Spirit all of a sudden rebirths us. It talks about rebirthing by the Spirit. It gives us new desires. It gives us hope. It gives us meaning. It gives us purpose. It gives a reason to serve Him. That's the Spirit's role. So we want the Spirit to be in our lives because God wants us to love Him and serve Him and be a part of his mission. See, we, it's not a formula. It's an acknowledgement of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But let me end with one more concept here. Letter E, 
Baptism is for believers only. See, in the Scriptures, we believe that it teaches that baptism, again, is an expression of faith. Being born again by the Spirit, it's after the fact that baptism occurs. And when one digs in the New Testament, when you look at the records of what's been written, conversion comes first, then baptism if you want to do some digging, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 6, 16, all point to this. See, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it's the ring ceremony after the vows. It's because we are in faith. In faith, we've put our life in the hands of Jesus. We are a believer in who he is. Then baptism follows. But, but here's where I got to close and I got to stop here. Because there's a couple questions that I need to throw out here today. And the first one, maybe there's somebody here today that your, the Spirit is kind of pricking at your heart. And you're coming to the realization that, you know what, I'm not sure that I'm united in Christ. That I've really put my faith in Him and trusted Him as Lord and Savior. You're coming to that place where I've really never given up control to him and allowed him to become the Savior and Lord of my life. And if that's you today, I would invite you to come on up afterward, hit one of the elders up, talk to somebody maybe here that can explain more to you. But there's a place where you need to bow And you need to make this place where you go, Lord, I want you. And when you you put your faith in him, what he does is he puts the Holy Spirit back within you and he will give you new desires. All of a sudden you're going to want to please him. You're going to want to serve him. He changes you. He begins to change you to get you ready for the great wedding, to be a part of the bride of Christ. And if that's you, don't hesitate to respond. I'd implore you to respond to that. But maybe there's people here today, a second group, where the Holy Spirit is, is kind of going after your heart and go, I've never done this. I've never had a ring ceremony where I've stood up to the world and, and through symbolism even just said, I am a follower of Jesus and allowed him publicly to go, I'm identifying with his death and with his resurrection. Here's what I would invite you to do. There's a sheet out at the information counter over by the mailboxes. If you're interested in getting baptized, I would ask you to sign up. Sometime this fall, we're going to be having, we would love to have a baptismal service. We have a little tank that we use down in Frontier. We ask people to give their testimony, just a short testimony. But there's a symbolic nature, and it's powerful when we see people and we identify, now I'm in union with Jesus now, and I'm going to hold my hand up high and be baptized. If that's you, sign up. See, baptism is not just an add-on to our faith. It's a part of our identity. It's a part of our identification with Christ. 
Jesus said it's important. It needs to be important to us. And we need to publicly proclaim him that he is our Lord, my Lord, my Savior. Let's stand and pray.